So Renu, uh, we're in Doha on the way to the EAU. It's incredible, yeah. yeah. Down th- you know, 14 hours later, we yeah. have uh, reached Europe. No, we haven't. Not really, nearly. <laughs> I don't know where we are. So we left Melbourne Tuesday night, yeah. late. Uh, it was nice there. We'd only just been to Usans, but yeah. we went and did a day's yeah. work and then uh, hopped on a 14-hour leg to get up to here, to yep. Doha, yeah, yep. which is very nice. Qatar Airways, you know, so good. if you want to plug, you know, give it, you know, free, uh, we can give you a plug. Please give us you know, oh my free gosh. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're great. They've just Conditional, yeah. the world's best airline and this and is the world's best airport here in Doha and I think yeah. they're really getting ready for the World Cup actually so yeah, you're lucky enough to be coming to the World Cup you're going to have a great experience I think the uh, Qataris are putting on a fantastic show and yeah. uh, this place is just amazing and their hospitality is just evident in every little thing that you do right exactly it's, it's right. incredible and this lounge is yes. spectacular oh come on we are working we got to get to the yes, EAU now we so are, the, yeah. they've just filled up the tank of petrol in the airplane and we're going to hop yeah, on and go seven or eight on. hours up to Amsterdam Amsterdam yep get there today we're meeting some of our friends Matt Cooperberg yeah. is meeting us later on we're going to have yeah. a chat we've got some meetings already when we get to Amsterdam and then EAU kicks off tomorrow lots of great stuff and we're looking forward to you know, bringing some highlights I think on the podcast yeah it's going to be a great meeting and yeah we're looking forward to catching up with some friends and colleagues and uh, we've got some merchandise so you know we're looking forward to yes. handing them out one suitcase is all merchandise by the way it is it <laughs> it's is. going to so be exciting we're going to find somewhere on Friday evening some Irish yeah. bar inevitably and yeah, friends of the podcast uh, come and track us down and you might get yourself a polo shirt or a baseball cap or, or a hat something. or a beanie yeah, yeah, or something yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be good it'll be good alright alright let's go let's get on the plane bye okay Welcome to Amsterdam. Welcome to Amsterdam. It's uh, EAU 2022 and we're in sunny Amsterdam in spring. So to celebrate the end of COVID, at least for now, we hope we are bringing you another conference highlights and this from my personal favorite urology meeting, which is the EAU annual scientific meeting. And it's going to be a great few days. And my first EAU and my first time in Amsterdam. It's going to be fantastic. It is. So we're going to bring you the flavor of the meeting as usual. It's a huge meeting, of course, so we can't bring you everything. But we're going to chat to a few people who are presenting here and just a few delegates. And we're going to have a little walk around Amsterdam and get a flavor of this fantastic city as well. Yeah, lots of science to look forward to, lots of fun, lots of amazing sights. And I hear good food as well. And we're going to have the inaugural GU Cast drinks reception to um, show our appreciation for all of you listeners and viewers out there who support us, and of course some of the guests who come on the show because quite a few of our of all of the above are here in Amsterdam. Yeah, we've got a lot of friends of the podcast here, so uh, we've got some GU merchandise to give away, and it's going to be a fantastic inaugural drink section, I think. All right, let's hope you enjoy this episode. <laughs> Please do send us feedback as ever. See you later. Hello everyone, we are here not at USANS but EAU 2022 all the way in Amsterdam in the Netherlands and uh, it's day one, it's, it's insane, have a look at the trade hall behind me but um, the focus of right now is actually I've got two very important KOLs with me actually when you look, I, you know, it's a star-studded performance but I managed to grab these two, we've got Jim Caddo and Peter Black, welcome guys great to be here nice to see you guys uh, back in the continent yeah, yeah thank you <laughs> lovely to be here thank you and you know I really should be asking them how they're doing after the travel but I might actually ask them how they're doing after the pub last night Jim well I wouldn't know <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here with wife and children so I wouldn't know either so. <laughs> you guys are behaving uh, Jim over to you you were in the 7:30 plenary this morning 
Uh, tell us about the highlights. Well, you were there, Renu. So what did you find about it? Um, this is not fair. They're not interviewing me. <laughs> so uh, we were presenting IROC this morning, which is our robotic trial. As you know, uh, uh, now published in JAMA. So we saw a two-day difference in length of stay between complete intracorporeal and open surgery. Uh, it's all about quality of recovery, isn't it? So, so in the first uh, 90 days, robotics... Uh, less disability, better quality of life, but probably more expensive, so it's that trade-off. What we didn't expect to see was fourfold fewer DVTs, pulmonary emboli in the robotic arm. So right. that's something about mobility, and, and that, that is a, for us, that was a real game changer, because if you can reduce the DVT PE rate, and it was mostly PEs, from 8% to 2%, that's quite a safety thing, isn't it? And in fact, we did have an open death from uh, pulmonary emboli in the first 90 days. So. Wow, so, yeah. well, you know, very interesting results, yeah. and we love randomized trials, and, yeah, true. and it truly deserves its place in the game-changing session. So. Congratulations, Thank Jim. You. And Peter, uh, welcome to EAU. I've, I've got a microphone. These, again, tall guys. I mean, seriously, <laughs> my arm's getting a workout. Um, what can we look forward to in bladder cancer at EAU 22? Well, I think this was already probably the highlight. Um, and I think Jim and, and colleagues deserve a lot of uh, congratulations for pulling off this trial. And, and I think it is practice changing. I think the, uh, there are a lot of people who criticize the endpoint, how clinically significant is that? But I think we all know, or we all see that robotics leads to quicker recovery. It's just very hard to measure. They've measured it, there's a difference. I think it's enough to, to justify. In, in North America, the cost of robotics isn't really an issue. Yeah. It's done regardless. I think it's probably the same for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it is game changing. Um, otherwise, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of little things in the, different, in the poster sessions and whatnot yeah. that, uh, that I'm keen to see. It's going to be fun interacting with, you know, the junior faculty the first time in, or, you know, junior urologists for the first time in a couple of years in person. So it'll be a good meeting. And uh, tell us how things going at the SIU Journal. You know, it's gaining a lot of momentum since it started. It's, is, it, is it going well? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's growing. Um, it's, it's always difficult to be the, the new kid on the block. Everyone yeah. wants to know when is it going to be PubMed indexed, when is it going to get impact factor. Yeah. Jim just got his impact factor of 24. I think oh. we're uh, <laughs> a few yeah. magnitudes <laughs> off that when it comes. But it's, it's growing, so it's good. Fantastic. Well, you boys have a wonderful conference, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Great. Thank you. All right, here we are. I've got a very important guest. It actually took a while to track him down and pin him down for an interview. But Tim O'Brien, he really needs no introduction. But welcome, Tim. How are you? I've never been described as important before. I'm not sure I am. <laughs> unimportant. A very unimportant <laughs> guest. Oh, really? <laughs> it's a very small world in which to be yeah. minorly important. Anyway. Well, we think you're important. And uh, you were in the, in the early morning plenary oh, yeah. this morning yeah. um, and after getting in very late last night. And sure. uh, you, I mean, we, we always think that you're a fantastic speaker. You really engage your audience and, and, and tell some great stories. Um, and you gave a great presentation this morning about challenges in advanced renal cancer, managing cable thrombi. You know, we could see the audience. Everyone had their, their cameras up. Everyone was taking photos. It was a great presentation. Well, thank you. Uh, it was fun putting it together. Yeah. I mean, some talks, um, some talks you don't really get a huge thrill putting them together. It feels like work. Yeah. And then some talks don't feel like work. They just feel like you're telling a story. So yeah. uh, that was a fun one to put together. And, you know, one thing you always say is don't let the important messages drown. And so you had five tips, five warnings and five minutes. We love that at GUCast. Are you going That's to ask me what, or, what they were? You're asking we, me to remember am, my talk. I am going to ask you to remember your talk. What, I teach, people, <laughs> what I teach people who are coming up to Vivas for the FRCS Roll is never give a number. Yeah. So say there are several. Because then if you don't oh, remember right? the number. Well, if you say there are five and you only remember four, the examiner always says, well, what's the fifth? <laughs> 
So they only ever remember the one you didn't remember, where say there are several reasons for this, and then they never know whether you were thinking of four or five. That is true. So, so there were several you a number tips. Of tips. Yeah. Several tips yeah. and several warnings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, the first tip was operate with the same team. Yeah. And I place the emphasis on same. Uh, you know, this is often multi-surgeon operating, urologist, HPB, cardiac. And I just think it's really important those individuals are the same so you build a trust yeah. and you build a rapport. And actually you learn from each other. I've learned a lot of surgery from the cardiac surgeon we work with and from the HPB surgeons. And I think they probably learned a bit about urology from me too. So I think it's got to be a teamwork involves the same people yeah. delivering it time in, uh, time out. So I think that was the first lesson that was unashamedly an organizational lesson for the first lesson and then there were some technical things some radiological things in the NHS delays are endemic yeah so uh, obviously illustrated one of the problems about having imaging delays tumors progress these aren't indolent tumors they yeah. move through the cava move towards the heart um, some of the patients demand more urgent action than others um, I think that's a very important thing to understand about all clinical situations does this really really need urgent action or does it you know is it something that can be just temporized for a while and we think that IVC tumors that are embolizing need urgent action because there's a risk of a fatal embolus before you move yeah and then some of the things we've learned about this the most important lesson in the surgery I think is to isolate the blood supply to the kidney before you do any dissection we've totally changed our technique we didn't I've been a consultant since 1999 we do it a totally different way from how we used to do it. I think sometimes people think that technique only evolves through laparoscopy and robotics and the technology. I think open surgery also improves. And we've been relentless in our attempts to try and improve our open techniques too. So we go straight onto the aorta, we find the renal artery, slide off the aorta onto the renal artery and ligate it, close down the blood supply. It's particularly important when the venous drainage is blocked because you know the collaterals are high pressure and then the final t oh the tips the cardiac tips um, knowing who to operate on and who not to operate on so I showed a picture of our I can tell her name she doesn't mind me telling her name Alice Chadwick who is our 95 year old who I sent back to Kent saying you're far too old to have combined kidney and cardiac surgery and her daughter contacted me and said my mother doesn't want to sit in Kent waiting to die. She wants an operation. And so we brought her back to London and operated on her, oh. and she was absolutely fine. And so she was one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is the people who you shouldn't operate on yeah. because they're probably going to die anyway. Uh, they're just uh, decompensating. Yeah. So those are some of the tips, some of the warnings. Uh, were there I any others? Five. I'm not sure whether there were, were there, were <laughs> so there yeah. any others. I think there might have been, but I can't remember them. You know, there you go, folks. You don't have to attend the EAU plenary. You just listen to our podcast and you'll get all the main messages anyway. But I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure, I mean, those are my reflections on what yeah, I do. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm sure if you went in and did reflections on RARP, if you did reflections on cystectomy, you know, PCNL, you know, I think, I think that's, I, I, I think people over-obsess about the t learning you do during training. Uh, a lot of my learning has been post-training yeah. you know, as yeah, a consultant absolutely. and I think trainees need to understand that that yeah. the training period is one point in your learning and the learning doesn't stop yeah. uh, and 
I think it can't stop. It shouldn't stop. Well, I think learning happens when the weight of responsibility is on your shoulders. A little bit. But I think the other thing is that I think when you work with a referral practice like we do, I think you have a responsibility to improve and then yeah. share that learning, don't yeah. you? So we've got better because people have been kind enough to refer the cases. Yeah. We've demanded that improvement of ourselves and we definitely have improved. I mean, yeah. there's no question we've improved. Yeah. Um, and what I haven't worked out yet, and one of the, a lot of people have asked me what I'm going to do following BAUS, and I've been BAUS president for the last couple of years. One of the things I'm going to do, I am going to try and create the world's best archive of filmed open surgery in uh, urology. Hello. Declan and I, a long time ago, developed the world's best archive of blue light cystoscopy and TRBT. It was amazing to do that. And I just think we haven't woken up to getting really good filmed evidence yeah. of good open surgery. It's quite difficult to do. Absolutely. Um, but so that's, that's one of the things I'm going to try and do in the next yeah. year is get really, really good film of good and bad surgery. Some of the things, you know, just like stopping bleeding. Yeah. You know, how to stop bleeding uh, because it's so important to do it right you know there are different techniques nothing like an amazing video library for sure, yeah, sure. you've just touched on something that that we should move on to and it's that you're the immediate past president of BAUS and yeah. we remember having you on GUcast a, a while ago and you talked about your vision for your term as president All right, yeah. um, and now you've handed over to Joe Creswell so your thoughts on how things have gone in the past couple of years and, and how you expect things to progress in the future um, I've enjoyed the two years I was in, I, I enjoyed handing on uh, yeah. you know you put a lot I, I, um, I was a sprinter jumper when I did athletics, so I tended to go hard and then rest. <laughs> and that's a slightly similar way managerially. Yeah. I, I'm not really a 10K runner, it just sort of grinds along. I was, I was happy to hand on. Uh, I'd enjoyed the two years. It'd been quite hard work. Uh, and I think in terms of what we managed to do, you have some things that surprise you how well they went. Some things went as well as you thought they would, and actually some things never got off the ground. Yeah. And uh, it's that's the way it is. Uh, and I don't don't dwell too much on those things. You know, you never get. And some things, you know, you had to deal with that you weren't expecting at all. They came completely out of left field, and they needed dealing with. Um, we finished with an unbelievably enjoyable congress. Uh, yeah. There was a tremendous vibe. It made you just thrilled to be a British urologist at the British meeting. There was a really amazing uh, vibe. I think we'd really changed uh, the tempo and the feel of Congress. Yeah. And that uh, felt like a very valuable thing to have done. Yeah. It was a really, really good... Uh, I think one of the criticisms of organisations that run events is that it can be same old, same old, same speakers, same subjects, same thing. Absolutely. And we really tried hard. Ian yeah. Pierce, who curated the meeting, did a really good job and I don't think anyone could level the accusation at us of same old, same old. So we had a lot more young urologists talking, yeah. a lot more women, a lot more people from uh, less fashionable units and I think that was good. A lot of people came up to me and said, Tim, it, it felt very different. So we were very proud of that. Well, you've done a lot for diversity in neurology, so I mean, we could talk forever, really, um, but we're going to let you go, and it's been fantastic to see you at the meeting. Congratulations on everything you've achieved as BAUS president, and uh, we look forward to, to seeing more of you over the next few days. Enjoy Amsterdam. 
So guess who we bumped into here at EAU in Amsterdam? One of my favorite pathologists in the whole world, Dr. Eva Komparan. Eva, nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure to see you, both of you. <laughs> so Eva is a Europathologist, head of the Europathology department at the Medical University in Vienna, previously in Paris, of course. Yes. I remember when we first got to know you, you were yeah, in, Paris, but, in Paris, but you are Austrian, I think, yes. by birth. And uh, so, and you're always at the EAU. You're, yeah. you're such a key opinion leader in GU pathology uh, that the big meetings like EAU are always very pleased to have you here, involved in guidelines. Lines yeah, and uh, courses and debates. Great debate yesterday, and we we thought we'd pick your brains for a couple of minutes for our urology audience, just with some key messages about GU pathology because it does move on a bit. You know, it does, yeah. it's moved on. And yeah. I remember doing a talk recently about prostate cancer pathology. Would you believe I was asked to do a talk <laughs> on this? And I was reflecting back to when I started doing urology, and prostate cancer was just Gleason score. That was yeah. it. You know, it was very That's simple, true. wasn't it? Yeah, but I wanted to first of all ask you a bit about uh, prostate. Uh, one of the things that I see coming up all the time is, for example, uh, how important it is that we recognize these um, subtypes, these pathological variants like uh, the presence of cribriform, uh, IDCP, ductal. We, we now okay. recognize as urologists that these things in particular, cribriform, IDCP, ductal, when we see them on a pathology mm -hmm. report, it's important. So it I is. thought we might pick your brains uh, about those three in, in, in simple terms for us. Okay, so you go borrow my microphone there. Thank you. Well, there are several things. First of all, cribriform has to be mentioned in the biopsy report and also in the report of radical prostatectomy because we know know that these people have more often uh, biological recurrence, they have in case of radical uh, prostatectomy higher uh, incidence of metastasis, death of disease, positive margins, so all these adverse events which you can see. And this is really a recommendation since 2019 that it has to be in a report. So if it doesn't, man it is never mentioned in a report by your pathologist, please ask him why he yeah. doesn't do it. The same is true for intraductal carcinoma. The problem with intraductal is, well, we know that most of the time intraductal is together with invasive tumor. It can be pure, and in this case, it should not be graded because it's not invasive. It's a little bit like carcinoma inside, but with prostate cancer. But personally, I have never seen an intraductal only, you know, intraductal, and without it's. I think it's zero zero three percent something like this. Um, so of course, cribe reform. Uh, we have. Problems. There are two papers, one from ISA, from the International Society of Urology, the other one from GAPS, which is the Genital Urinary Pathology Society, to have a kind of consensus what we really should call cribriform. Apparently, there is a kind of intervar uh, observer variability, but it's, I think it's getting better. And if it's really typical, everybody agrees. It's not just like these atypical things where people do not agree. The second thing is WHO 22 will be released. In, it has been printed. I think it will be released in September, something like this. Uh, we're a little bit late. Um, and there are in the Asina adenocarcinoma, which is the most frequent. We have now these uh, histological subtypes. So... Uh, aspects which are not usual, most of them are not very aggressive, but the real subtypes like pleomorphic, uh, signet cell rings, these are really very aggressive tumors and these are patients also, like with the cribriform, who should be tested probably because we know very often, for example, in cribriform they have these brachia mutations. Yeah. And the problem is, shall we test all of them or not all of them? So this is a real debate. So be aware that if we talk about subtypes, in the prostate cancer, very often these are aggressive tumors, and this has to be mentioned too, of course, in a pathology report. I think that's very important. And ductal, sorry, and ductal, of ductal, course, yes, is a high grade, is always Gleason pattern 4. It's pretty rare, it's pretty complicated to recognize on biopsies, by the way. But nevertheless, of course, if you see this in a report, you know this is a high risk patient. 
And very often it's not pure ductal, it's no. not that classic endometrioid, no. it's, it's this mixed adenocarcinoma yeah. and ductal. But we know even with that, even with a proportion of that, it does portend a poorer yeah. prognosis, yeah. so important to recognize. On the cribriform, I think for urologists, one of the simplest important messages about that is if you have a favorable intermediate risk patient, it's a patient with grade group two, three plus four, maybe relatively low percentage pattern four, sometimes mm. we think maybe this is a surveillance mm. candidate, but the presence of cribriform should be a red flag yes. in that. So I think it that's is. one of the most important things about recognizing it and as you say making sure it's on the synoptic report yeah. and and so on because I you know I can tell you for sure in very many instances cribriform <laughs> is not specifically reported separately and sometimes from certain pathology labs we have to actually go back out or get the slides in to yeah. say is there cribriform or not especially if we're thinking about surveillance yeah. um, so do you think the message is getting out I mean um, things like GUPS or ISUP which by the way don't always agree I've, I've recognized it's as true. well <laughs> you know who holds sway here is it we ISUP we or well, GUPS like that, keep, yeah. keep to the WHO, keep to the WHO. No, I mean, I would also like to refer to ICCR, which is the International Collaboration on Cancer Reporting. So it's ICCR Cancer Org, and they have all the synoptic reports, and all you should find in a report. So if you don't find it, you can go to your pathologist and say, come on, why don't I have this and this and this? But there's also clinical information, I just tell you, in our synoptic reports, which is for us, of course, very important too. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And you should follow Eva on Twitter because she does tweet out valuable stuff like this and uh, as do her excellent colleagues in the GU Path community. But Renu, you wanted to ask her a little bit about urothelial cancer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of your other passions, um, yes. Eva, is urothelial cancer. And, and I think urothelial cancer, we all recognize that it's one area where really you really need the involvement of the pathologist. I think so, you know, yes. And, and the, the, knowing the correct staging and grading of tumor mm -hmm. really influences your decision-making for that patient and how that patient does on yeah. that treatment. So yeah. um, what is the latest? Uh, you were just <laughs> in the non-muscle invasive bladder cancer EAU guidelines mm -hmm. sort of debate. Yes. Um, and there have been some changes in the, in the classification of non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. And tell us about that session that you're in and what, what we can take away from it. Well, at the very moment, there is um, a very big debate about grading because grading has become extremely political, unluckily. Mm. So there are people who really push forward to have a 40 grading system. The others say, well, pan lump, low grade, high grade is perfect. Mm. Um, it's especially in Europe where they want to have this 40 grading system. Um, I was just um, asked to write a kind of editorial about what is done where it is done and so on. Uh, I think we have to step a little bit back because you cannot ask us urologists who have WHO, ICCR and CAP recommendations worldwide where it's low grade, high grade to ask us to make 40 grading system which is recommended of course by some people but it's not an official statement and official organism so I think this is really something which has to be sorted out within the next two three years yeah and what about variants of bladder cancer that's the other sort of contentious issue yeah. really isn't it so it's now subtypes by yeah. the way WHO so everything with the surgical pathology is subtype yeah. and everything which is molecular is variant I think that's pretty easy to to mention now for people so if we talk about variant uh, well everybody knows it's molecular yeah um, well it has not changed too much in, in the bladder okay. it's pretty the same but the problem is of course what are we doing with these patients who have let's say 10% of micropapillary and 10% of I don't know nested and the rest is classical urothelial custom we still do not know very well what to do with them so our recommendations in surgical pathology are of course to be as precise as possible because you have the patient in front yeah. And uh, you will decide when, if this is a, it's, it's a guy who is 85 
and he has kind of 10% of micropap, you will not be as aggressive probably as if it's the patient who is 50. Absolutely. So it's really up of, to yeah. you. So we have to give you the most important information like carcinoma in situ, whether it's multifocal, whether it's yeah. big. Of course, the staging, substaging of PT1 is still under debate because we do not have very good head-to-head -head data at yeah. the very moment, but should of course be done. Yeah. And all these kind of things, lymphovascular invasion, whether there is a subtype, yes or no, especially non-muscle invasive, I think it's really important and it's really underestimated. And, and afterwards, it's up to you what you are going to do with the patient because we don't see him. Oh, it's a truly collaborative effort, isn't it? And it I is. think that's why at Peter Mac also we really embed the Europathologists in our multidisciplinary meetings and mm -hmm. discussion. And we're very fortunate yeah. to work with Catherine Mitchell at Peter Mac, who's just brilliant. And Andrew um, Ryan and, and uh, colleagues at yes. Tissue Path. Absolutely. But isn't that one of the key messages? That this is, it evolves. It's very different. It uh, is. It's uh, work in progress. Because, <laughs> you know, it's very sophisticated now, and these subtypes and variants and nuances in reporting mm -hmm. do feed into how we should manage patients. So I think the message is we need to really work closely yeah. with our Europathologists. And it can be a challenge. You're on the Lancet Commission, the Prostate Cancer yes. Commission, coming out this year yes. with Nick James. And I know in many of the discussions on the Lancet Commission on prostate cancer, which is look at the you know the totality of prostate mm. cancer across the globe, the challenges are in very many regions. We don't have the EVAs yeah. of the world. And people no, are managing yeah. enormous workloads of pathology. So I suppose a question on that is the role of AI and machine learning yeah. uh, to help, to help well, people. Well, in prostate, it works pretty well, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a question of costs, you know, yeah. and it's a question of, of the workflow in the lab, whether the, the lab can, first of course, afford and second, make it work. Mm. It works in the prostate really very, very good. On the other hand, the bladder is still under, you know, uh, we're trying to, to get out the best. The kidney is extremely complicated. But prostate, yeah, we have very good heat maps. We have very good relationships. And sometimes the machine does even better than the human. There you go. Yeah. But you're not quite obsolete. Yeah. No. Well, uh, you're a wealth of information, Eva. We love chatting with you. Are you planning to come to Australia anytime? Yes, I will be there in October. Fantastic. Yes, in wow. Sydney. We'll have yeah. to. Come to us. Come to Melbourne. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> thank well, you. We'll have to make that happen. So Eva Comparat, uh, brilliant as always. Thank well, you. thank you very much. <laughs> Another excellent initiative from EAU this year is EAU TV. They've set up a fantastic TV studio in the middle of the convention center and are producing excellent short programs focusing on hot topics. A uh, 15 minute conversation, give or take. Stylish, um, yeah, we can do that. And should I look? I should yeah, don't look at the cameras, just look at each other, like act, oh. like, it, act like the cameras aren't here except when you're introducing and saying goodbye. Otherwise... I need to take some footage of all your kids. Yeah. I got to chat with my mate Chris Sweeney along with host Alberto Briganti. Look at the professionals that are watching my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to EAU TV. We're coming to you from the studio here on GUcast. I'm joined by my friends, Dr. Chris Sweeney. Uh, Chris Sweeney, a friend of Declan by default, and I will always try and overpromote GUcast like Declan overpromotes GUcast, but really go to your amigos. Uh, moving on quickly to uh, Dr. <laughs> Bukenzi. Hello, hello, how are you? Good to see you all, and I'm happy to be here with these uh, crazy guys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of EAU TV. I wouldn't do, I would still do curative radiation yeah. therapy, let me be very clear. Not surgery. N not surgery, because Taxi for Sweeney. Taxi. This is a urology meeting. I pay it. I pay for I, it. Yeah, yeah. Look at the tweet. I'll call the Pope by Gina Luca today. You can find the full program and more on the EAU channel on YouTube. And that's all we have for you on this episode of GUcast. 
We'll be back in a few days with part two of our conference highlights from the EAU meeting in Amsterdam, including discussions with Maria Rebal, David Boucher-Hayes, and a bunch of GUCast regulars who joined us for a drink at the GUCast reception in Amsterdam. Take care and see you soon. Thank you.